Hello, and welcome to the June 21st, 2022 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest. Old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Angie Gecki, a multidisciplinary artist, committed activist, and compelling songwriter with a forte for cinematic storytelling. She's also a mother of four who transformed her lifelong love of music into a serious songwriting career. Inspired by independent individual artists like Ella Fitzgerald and Willie Nelson, Gecki quickly earned a reputation for her particular brand of haunting, narrative, emotionally complex songs. Her unique compositions, which she often begins writing on ukulele before expanding for a larger band, fuse elements of classic Americana, folk, bluegrass, and jazz with her captivating vocal melodies front and center. Gecki writes songs encapsulating all the complex emotions and amorphous feelings that make life both complicated and beautiful. Born and raised in Austin, Texas, Gecki grew up in a musical family singing with her siblings in church, where her dad was choir director and organist, and attending symphonies and local music events on weekends. She began musical training at just seven years old, singing at various studios and national choral competitions, and later performing for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II when she visited Texas. She learned to play piano and continued writing songs throughout her early life before her career path led to other creative outlets. She published a novel, A Girl and Her Warhorse, works as a theater director, teaches middle school art, serves as executive director of Not In Our City, a nonprofit raising awareness of domestic sex trafficking, and is the worship leader of a local church. 
But it wasn't until 2018 that Gecki decided to pursue, pursue a full-time songwriting career. I've been writing songs for myself for as long as I can remember, but at some point I just decided it was time to finally do what I've always felt called to do with my life, she says. As an artist, I've found tools to help express things that feel unwieldy. Tools like color and sound. We need them to convey the things we don't have words for otherwise. In 2019, Gecki released her debut solo EP, Knots, establishing herself as a promising new voice in Texas Americana. Recorded at Lucky Run Studios with legendary sound engineer Michael McCulka, the six-song collection reflects on the challenges and subtle rhythms of relationships, vacillating between upbeat, toe-tapping acoustic guitar tracks and delicate, lilting ballads backed by upright bass. The lyrics fueled by the richness of Gecky's own life experience, connect with listeners in raw and visceral ways, drawing comparisons to artists like Ellen Starsky, Lori McKenna, and Brandy Carlisle. In 2020, stalled by the pandemic, but resolved to continue making music, Gecky released a new single each month via streaming platforms before returning to the studio to work on her first full-length album. Gecky's debut full-length album, If I Were Honest, presents a stunning atmospheric Americana collection that melds the many facets of her creative and personal life into one cohesive, elegant whole. Recorded in Nashville and produced by Mary Bragg, If I Were Honest celebrates the enormous complexity of being human with a spectrum of sounds ranging from textural and cinematic to candid and nostalgic. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Angie Gecki. Hello, Angie. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. Oh, that's wonderful. It's really great to talk with you. I've been looking forward to uh, this interview and, and learning more about you and about uh, your music and helping my listeners learn more about you and, and the great songs that you write. You know, the first thing that came to my mind, as soon as I started listening to you, uh, you know, a week or so ago, uh, the quality of your voice brought to my mind kind of a lighter, brighter version of Judy Collins and Emmy Lou Harris. Those were the first two examples that popped into my head. But who were the models for your vocal style and quality? Um, well, when I think about my voice and um, why it sounds the way that it sounds, um, I think a lot of that is attributed to my parents early on putting me in a children's choir. Um, mm -hmm. And so I um, had a lot of early training that focused on choral music and properly singing and singing with ease and not straining and proper, you know, raising up the soft palate, proper breathing, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. all of those things. And I think that um, that has probably had the most influence on my vocal quality. Um, 
as far as my style, um, you know, I think that um, in high school, I listened to a lot of jazz mm. artists like Ella Fitzgerald and Diana Krall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, Ella Fitzgerald has a range that's unbelievable mm-hmm. and she's able to make her voice be so versatile and mimic a clarinet, <laughs> you know, in one minute and then sing. And then, you know, it's um, so effortless. And so I think a combination of that, that vocal training all from age eight, probably all the way through college um, combined with like those influences of like Ella Fitzgerald and then um, style wise, like in college, you know, kind of being introduced to Nora Jones and that kind of being Mm -hmm. this crossover from the jazz, you know, vocals that I loved into something a little bit more mainstream for everybody. Um, I think all of that combined has really influenced um, my vocal style for sure. That's interesting. And I, that resonates a lot with me. My wife is a classically trained vocalist Mm. and, uh, and I know, uh, and I play trumpet and we both have a lot of discussions about uh, things, you know, uh, very basic posture, breathing, Mm. Uh, you know, how to maximize what I call the physiological mechanism to, you know, help propel the instrument. Yeah. Uh, And of course, and of course, with voice, you are the instrument with Mm -hmm. trumpet, your body is part of the instrument. Uh, But it's very similar kind of that thinking. And when you talk about that effortless sound. I mean, that's really what it's all supposed to lead to mm. is, is, is uh, I used to tell my trumpet students playing the trumpet is not hard, but we sure make it that way. <laughs> and just by, you know, with bad habits and things that we do that just don't, don't contribute mm. to that ease of flow and making sound and so on. And I find it also interesting, your, your influence of jazz singers. Um, yeah. But primarily, I guess, yeah, I used to teach jazz history and how uh, I used to teach uh, how really jazz singers, particularly early on, were very much influenced by instrumentalists. And when they would scat mm. sing, uh, you know, in, uh, in, uh, more imitate a horn rather yeah. than than the voice. And I think when you talk about uh, Ella Fitzgerald, my favorite Ella Fitzgerald recording is her live at Ber- in Berlin from 1960, I think it is. And yeah. when she does Mac the Knife mm. and she forgets the lyrics <laughs> and she starts improvising the lyrics and she starts naming off these different jazz uh, musicians who have recorded Mac the Knife. And she gets to Louis Armstrong and she does that grovelly Louis Armstrong kind of voice, you know, such a wonderful, versatile singer. And, uh, and, uh, and, and then to bring up uh, Diana Krall, who's another one of my favorites and uh, her, uh, her incredibly insouciant approach to music and the voice i i i always love her but then the real nail that i hit you hit on the head is with nora jones uh not only because she's a north texas alum yay (laughs) like me but also uh you know because she does cross 
that jazz pop almost in some of her songs country kind of sound yeah yeah. She's, she's really an every person's uh, singer, I think. And I, I have a number of her CDs and I love her music as well. So that's that's really great that you've you've picked up with that and, and have developed your own unique style. I mean, yeah. And I was just going to say that the ease of those vocals, but also still being able to be expressive. Oh, yes. It's the yes. combination of the two that I think I um that's what I strive for, you know, to have um, the good technique, but also freedom to be fully expressive with, within that technique, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I, we're going to get more to uh, specifics about some of your songs, but I do want to mention one right now, and I do have a link to it in my show notes for my, my listeners, is your song, Whiskey in a Teacup. But what's so wonderful is the video. And I have to tell you, Angie, it made me laugh. It made Good. me laugh because, because I was thinking, I was thinking this whole time, you know, first of all, it's great that you put your kids in it, number one. But number two here, it's like you're this frayed and frazzled mom who's so cool because, man, she's as powerful as whiskey in a teacup. Don't you dare <laughs> mess with her, right? Kind of thing. And I just loved it. And it made me laugh. Uh, the ex the uh, expressive look on your face during the, the video, as well as uh, in response to the kids' antics and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, you definitely have that expressiveness uh, there. Uh, so, you know, good for you. I love, uh, you know, that sound of your voice and the way you sing. About your songwriting, who are some songwriters that you really admire and maybe emulate? Uh, I really admire the writing of Lori McKenna. Um, her lyrics always seem to hit. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, you can have good lyrics that are a good story, but then there are lyrics that time after time hit, you know, even if your personal circumstances change to have the same lyrics um, connect in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, base, I just think it's brill it's brilliant. And I feel like she, she does that so well. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that she happens to also be a mom of a bunch of kids. I mm -hmm. mean, I'd be lying if I didn't find that inspiring, <laughs> you know, that she's able to do it. Um, it, it, it's good for me to have an example like that. Um, lately I've really been, um, loving like the musicality and the arrangements of um the group i'm with her oh okay um, just really loving the vocals and then also the the just unique um combination of bluegrass and sometimes pop and some, you know it, it's just a cool fusing of different instrumentation along with really cool impressive vocals um and then i've also um this is kind of a smaller on the big grand scheme of things, smaller scale um, artist, but Jackson Emmer, um, who's a sing songer, sing singer songwriter out of Colorado, um, who's a friend of mine, and um, all of the stuff that he's been putting out lately, um, they are clever. All of his lyrics are clever, um, and and the, the stuff lately that he's been putting out, the feel and the kind of um, edgy vibe that he's doing, I, I just it's a cool combination. So mm -hmm. 
those are kind of some of the, the things lately, at least that I've been into. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I agree. I think it's really great that, you know, we've, we've approached uh, or can have in music what I will call a homogenization of sounds. Mm -hmm. In other words, we can have like a pop song that's using pedal steel guitar. Now, <laughs> pedal steel guitar is almost always associated only with two types of music, country music and Hawaiian music, right? But yeah. here, here, it's also a unique sound that that can find its way in into any kind of music. And it and if it's done right, it it it's just the exact kind of uh, sound that you're looking for, uh, or even the presence of a, a, a fiddle, mm. uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, you know, calling it a violin. We all know there's a difference between being, a f actually, no, I take that back. Itzhak Perlman did say that we're all fiddlers. When oh. he was talking about violinists. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, that's, a, that's, that's maybe off topic, but I think that, uh, I, I mean, I seem to be of the opinion that musicians today in general, and I think specifically even studio musicians, they're playing for all kinds of artists. Mm. I mean, even like, uh, you know, people that work in Nashville, they're not just recording country music in Nashville. Oh, they're yeah. recording all kinds of music or in Memphis or uh, and there's skilled musicians that that come in and and. Uh, you know, contribute all kinds of really, really cool sounds. Um, the other, I was going to ask you, you mentioned Lorena McKenna, McKenna? Lori McKenna. Mm -hmm. Lori McKenna. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that uh, I, cause I want to seek her out in terms of her music as well. I, I use this as uh, education for me as well. And I, I want to make sure, cause there is a Canadian singer songwriter named Lorena McKinnett, who I oh. really like a lot. And uh, she, uh, you might, you might check her out. She's a, a wonderful storyteller, uh, kind of has a Celtic bent to her oh, cool. sound. And, uh, but uh, some beautiful, beautiful stuff. But I, I just wanted to clarify that for myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of great stuff going on with with songwriters today and the art that they're creating uh, through lyrics, uh, then enhanced by uh, mm. the music that backs that up in a studio setting. And we're going to get to more specifics about that later in the interview about your album and your songs. Um, but speaking of your new album, I, I have to give you my first, my honest uh, first impression. When I read and listened to, or when I listened to the album, uh, if I were honest and read the lyrics, it really gave me the impression that you were writing a lot about the toils and tribulations of day-to-day -day life and also about the heartache of dysfunctional relationships, but laced with a dose of inner strength to overcome and motivation to reach beyond. That was the impression that I got from your, I mean, just the overall broad brushstroke kind of view of your album. We'll talk more about specific songs later in the interview, but would you please comment on the overall emotional tone of If I Were Honest? Well, I I always joke in my live shows that um, if you're feeling good about life, 
when you walked in that I'm bound to leave you feeling worse. <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> I do, I do so, tend to focus on the hard emotions and the sad emotions. Uh, but, you know, um, I think that life is complex. And if we oversimplify um, life, we kind of miss out on a lot of uh, a lot of feelings and emotions that are kind of they make life what it is. I mean, that's part of living life mm-hmm. is to to feel all of the complex emotions. It's what makes us different as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, for me, writing songs that kind of attempt to identify with all that tangled mess. <laughs> of emotions um it's one way that i personally can make more sense of it mm-hmm. um and so for me the album as a whole um is complex which i think like in your description i mean it's this but then it's also this but then it's also this you know mm-hmm. um and I, that's it's on purpose um because um I just feel like that is exactly what life is, um, mm-hmm. an array of emotions. Um, and I wanted to do more than just focus on the sad. Well, I tend to do that probably the best, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, um, songs like if I were honest and Fayetteville and half a mind, um, you know, we're human beings that are bound to be hurt. And mm-hmm. oftentimes that pain isn't completely black and white, you know, sometimes, um, you know, maybe we've even contributed to our own pain more than we realize. And so, um, it's those songs, for example, are attempts at me at not just doing sad, but trying to go a little bit deeper. Um, but songs like fly baby fly and whiskey in a teacup, like Mm -hmm. to also acknowledge we can't get bogged down in that, you know, that there is space to dream and there is space to let loose and there's space to have fun. Um, and it's all of those things together that, that make life, you know, and, um, that make up me, Mm -hmm. this being my, um, kind of debut album. Um, I wanted to present myself and all the different sides of me, all the different parts of me from being a singer songwriter to a mom, to a teacher, um, uh, just, and all of the emotions that, that make me up. I wanted to present myself, um, as much as I could as all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I did an album that was solely every song was of the same slant as whiskey in a teacup, I feel like I would have sold myself short um, sold listeners short, you know, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of, I don't know. No, I think, you know, we are complex, uh, you know, I think emotional. I mean, there's that joke you always see, you know, that, uh, pop up on Facebook or the internet says that, you know, human beings, we are basically 98% water, which means we're just cucumbers with emotions. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, uh, the other thing is I also relate to that. My father was a psychologist oh. and he, uh, and so he and I used to, I can remember, we used to have numerous discussions about kinds of, uh, you know, 
human behaviors. I mean, as uh, my field is music education. So music education, we're, we're primarily musical behaviorists. It's just the two behaviors that we most focus on are teaching and learning, but we also look at lots of behaviors. So I've always kind of been interested in human, human behavior and emotion and so yeah. forth. And he once said, he said, yeah, depression is fear of the past. Anxiety is fear of the future. And we can, and we do that to ourselves because, you know, like they say, 95% of what you worry about never happens. <laughs> or the other great quote that I like is worry is like paying interest on a loan you, or a debt you don't owe, you know, mm. yet it happens. And we have to, and if we express ourselves, uh, those emotions, it's, it's sort of, uh, I think kind of, a. Uh, well, I don't want to steal the thunder for my next question, but expressing ourselves is important. And I'm going to go to my my philosophical question that I that I very I ask every singer songwriter. You know, the ancient Greeks claimed that the purpose of tragedy in drama is to serve as an emotional catharsis, a cleansing for those witnessing the drama. And one, you know, could experience the emotional pain of what they were witnessing on stage without having to bear the actual pain of what was being viewed. So I, you know, I kind of think I know the answer to what I'm about to ask you based on what you've already said, but let's go ahead and cover it anyway. Is the aesthetic purpose of your songs to provide an emotional cleansing for your listeners or even for yourself? I'll throw that in. Or are you just simply serving as an observer of human relationships and making personal commentary? I love that comparison. I teach theater part-time middle school theater. So I love, oh, okay. <laughs> love that comparison. Um, but I, I absolutely want to connect my listeners um, and help them process what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um half of my degree in college was psychology. Okay. Um, and so like, I fully believe if we hold onto our experiences and our emotions with no outlet, it can damage our brains, our bodies, our psyche. Um, it can harm our relationships without us even knowing, you know, that we're mm -hmm. actively harming a relationship. Um, and so I think, I mean, the most meaningful moments for me um, have been when like after performing a song after the set, um, someone comes up to me and tells me that like, they didn't even know that they were feeling a certain way about some experience. And they tell me, you know, about whatever they're going through. They, I, and they explain, like, I didn't even know what to call what I was feeling. But after that song, I feel like now I can actually like put words to it. I can um, express it. I just didn't know how to exactly pinpoint, you know, with with words or verbalize, um, articulate what, what I was feeling and the song helped me get there. And so for me, like that is, if I can do that once with one song, then like, it's all worth it. <laughs> you know, um, that's success. That's the ultimate success as a songwriter. Um, it makes me feel like maybe I've helped the world a little bit or helped that marriage a little bit, or, you know, maybe that, teenager a little bit. Um, I, I consider my songwriting um, more of a act of community service or maybe sure. even a ministry, you know, like it's, it's oh, what yeah. I can do to help people, you know? 
So it, definitely, I I um, connect with that. You and I are very much on the same page, <laughs> and I and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do, even though I'm retired from full time teaching from the university. I still conduct the band at the university, the concert band, uh, but I also conduct a concert band for older adults. It's through the uh, New Horizons International Music Association, and it's an organization, and they focus on creating musical experiences for older adults. And mm -hmm. I'm 67, but most of the people in my band think I'm a kid. So that gives you an idea of their ages. You know, yeah. they're in their 70s and their 80s. We were working on a piece a week ago Wednesday called Heaven's Light, which was commissioned by a high school band, and I don't remember where now, in memory of one of the kids that had been in the band and either had died or been killed during mm. the school year. And it, I was, you know, we're all, as teachers, we're always, you can experience this with theater, I'm sure. We're just like, you're trying to get the kids to uh, convey feeling beyond just merely the words in the script. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to get people to convey emotion through the music that they're playing. Mm -hmm. So we went into a short discussion about, about the stages of grief and loss. And I said, I think, you know, the way the composer's written this piece at the very beginning, yeah, this is very sad because we're mourning the loss of this, this young woman. And then, and then where he's now indicated poco agit, uh, animato to be a little more animated. I says, I think what he's really getting at is this is that stage of anger in grief mm. where we're a little bit upset. So I, instead of saying poco animato, I want you to play just more angry. Mm. Well, anyway, we went back, we played it kind of with that interpretation. And then finally, the, the, the final part of the piece, of course, is that last stage of grief, the release, the resolution, the acceptance. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, we went through that as well. I couldn't believe how many, how many tears I mm. concocted out of that, that group of people because they were expressing those emotions with this instrumental music once I kind of cajoled them into what you know, yeah. that, that could mean. And I always think of that as a slam dunk as a music educator. Yeah. When, well, just like you do with your music, when you could get somebody to respond emotionally to what you're doing. I mean, that's really what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, so I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, we're very mono on mono in terms of our, <laughs> our thinking. And I do this as a, like a public service. I don't have to, I don't have to do it to, to, you know, make an income. I'm, you know, I have my retirement income, but I believe in the power of music. Mm -hmm. And so I believe in trying to uh, still, uh, as long as there's breath in me and I'm able to, uh, to help uh, bring that to people. Cause I think it's a, a, an incredibly important part of life, but Absolutely. yeah. So, I mean, I think that's wonderful that you, you know, you work to, to have that uh, emotional cleansing. I, I don't think it's also uh, too much to say that you also are expressing your faith in, in, in a couple of your songs. I think, yeah. Uh, I address that, uh, I think, specifically the, the two songs that begin and end, end your album, I think, are very specifically expressing uh, faith. And, yeah. and we, you know, as people of faith, we know that faith doesn't stop us from stubbing our toe. It just helps us deal with it. 
yeah. and of course i'm using stubbing our toe as a very silly metaphor for the pain and the and the trials of life because yeah. they happen to even bad things can happen to good people mm -hmm. uh and i and that's what i love about your songs i think i think yeah it's kind of you're right you know you're not an antidepressant you're a depressant but you're a depressant <laughs> with hope <laughs> It's true. I could just imagine being at being the, an MC at a nightclub, you know, now here's Angie and she's going to ruin your day. You know? <laughs> so put your hands together and let's bring her out here and get us all nice and down and maybe we'll sell more whiskey. I don't know. Anyway. Yep, exactly. The bartenders love it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! I, now I'm getting I'm getting silly, but anyhow. Uh, so meanwhile, back at the ranch. Uh, so I, I'm really curious about your creative process. Uh, you know what ins uh, what inspires you when you write? What usually comes to your mind first? A lyric, a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea, a particular set of chords, or are or is it? just a mood or other cognitive imagery that you're trying to recreate? Um, well, I think that uh, one, I don't have necessarily, a, you know, a strategy, so to speak. Um, it, it, it has happened all different kinds of ways. Um, and I try to be open to that. But in general, um, I do have somewhat of a, of a, a plan, you know, <laughs> a mm -hmm. way to attack it. Um, so there, there are a couple of steps, I think. Um, one, I keep a running list of like song titles, um, just general song ideas, you know, lyrical ideas, um, maybe like lyrical hooks. I keep just a running list of that so that if I'm ever watching TV and a character says something like, oh, that would, that would make a good song. And, you know, I can quickly add it to my list. Or um, I've had multiple occasions where I'm in conversation with friends or my husband, and one of us will say something and, you know, everybody's kind of like, oh, that would make a good song title. <laughs> you know, okay, let me add mm -hmm. it to the list. So I have that. Um, I also do the same thing for um, everything from melodies to chord progressions. So oh, okay. I'll be in the car and a melody will come to mind. And, uh, I have an ongoing audio kind of list of voice mm -hmm. memos where I just, you know, catch it while it's there. <laughs> so I don't lose it, um, mm -hmm. and store it away for later. Um, same thing with chords. If I'm just kind of playing around on my ukulele or sitting down at the piano and come up with something that I'm like, Oh, I kind of like that. I, you know, and, and I, you know, there's no set plan or goal, but I make sure to keep those things and, um, have them available to come back to. So then, um, you know, once I sit down to write a song, I feel like I have all these resources in front of me. Um, I, for me, it's usually about coming back to one of those musical ideas mm -hmm. um, and developing the basic idea of maybe a verse or a chorus. Mm -hmm. um, and then for me, that's when the mood or imagery is usually set. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes if 
um, what's already there like inspires a certain mood or ambiance kind of thing. I'll tweak the chords a bit to really like kind of milk it as much as possible. So if it's, you know, if it's super, uh, mm -hmm. the mood is kind of feeling sentimental or sad, you know, like, oh, okay, well maybe I could throw a minor chord in here, you know, to, to kind of milk the emotion a little bit more. I kind of let it guide me um, once I, I feel a mood. Mm -hmm. um, but then I'll go back to those lyrical ideas and just remind myself of some of the ideas. And sometimes it's like, oh, that idea, I completely forgot about it, but it would totally fit this mood. And it's usually kind of at that point where then uh, I start to picture it in my head, um, mm -hmm. almost as if a movie is playing out in my mind, like, oh, here's the storyline, um, you know, um, this happened first and then this and like, oh, I, I see it. It's dimly lit or it's bright, suns, sunshiny on a mountaintop, you know, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then that really influences the rest of my lyrics because then I want to oh. paint with the lyrics mm -hmm. what I'm seeing in my mind's eye. I want other people to see it. I want to transport them into that space um, as if they were watching a movie. So those kinds of um, starting with a mental picture first helps me really develop um, the lyrics. And then I try to always remember like, okay, but what was my point here? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. what was the, what was the title? It's always got to wrap around back to that. Um, so in general, that's kind of my process. Sure. Um, sometimes I will spend a week playing a chord forget progression, you know, like in four, four, and then the next week I'll play it in six, eight, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, and just, just tweak it or, or determine like what fits where I'm trying to go with this better. Um, for me, the whole process is kind of like doing a puzzle mm -hmm. um, and you have like maybe that last, you know, couple of pieces and they're all blue sky pieces and they're all exactly the same color. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know, you realize you might have one piece that doesn't fit anywhere. And it's because you accidentally stuck the piece in the wrong place earlier and thought it was right, you know, and, yes. and so figuring out the combination of the right mood, the right chord progression, the right lyrics, the right, all of that stuff. It, I feel like it's a kind of a ever revolving process that even if I might start with say a melody I might have to come back around to that and and refit it to now uh -huh. the new picture that I'm creating um mm -hmm. so I, I you know I think it, it takes um maybe maybe I'm over spiritualizing the process but I think <laughs> there are melodies that are created specifically for you know, lyrics, certain lyrics and lyrics that are created specifically for certain uh, melodies, you know, that it, it they kind of um, are somewhat destined to be together. And so mm -hmm. the process uh, requires a lot of experimentation to make sure that things are clicking right where they should be between all of the elements, you know. I think, I think you discussing that is excellent. And the, the reason I, I say that is because I think the lay public, the uh, that that isn't involved in you know recording music or or being involved in uh, 
you know, directing plays or even writing novels uh, don't fully understand that it isn't perfect when it hits the page. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of trial and error and we did this and it worked or this and it didn't work or, you know, uh, and I, you know, that's something that I think the, like I said, I think the lay public doesn't always understand because all they really see is the finished product. Yeah. Except, and this is one of the things that I think has been great since uh, the development of the CD and you, and you know, and when you do an album reissue, of course, original LPs only took up about, you know, 35 to 40 minutes. Right. And when people buy a CD, they want closer to, mm. you know, 50, 60 minutes worth of music. So what yeah. did they start doing is they started issuing the alternate takes that were never before heard on the original vinyl or, uh, you know, and then, and I've always found that intriguing because I'm listening to that. I will either go, you know, I can see why they didn't use that because this doesn't really work as well as, you know, again, in my opinion. And I was thinking about that really a lot the other day, I just bought a new, uh, well, new to me, a, uh, uh, 10 CD set of uh, some recordings that had been done by the singer songwriter, Tom Waits. And uh, particularly in his early, earlier years, mid seventies. And they were recordings of when he had been on radio shows and performing. And there were a couple of his songs that I was very familiar with from, from, you know, his album and how he was at that point, this was before he recorded the album and it was like a totally different feel. And I just went, I, I don't know. I'm glad he didn't stay with that. Then he finally <laughs> went, you know, but I mean, we yeah. have to understand that process and, and we go through that. We know in the classical world, in the classical world, you know, uh, Beethoven, for example, had tons of sketchbooks with ideas. I mean, you know, Mozart was a little different. Mozart was a genius. So it was all figured out in his head and it was perfect as it hit the page. You know, we don't see a lot of uh, additions and, and changes and alterations, you yeah. know, in his, but then there's composers who year after year would go back and then they would withdraw a particular version of a symphony and then reissue a, a new uh, uh, version or something, you know, because they're always modifying their work. And so it's great to hear you uh, uh, bring that up. I'm going to ask you a little bit more. I'm going to drill down a little bit more about your studio experience later in the yeah. interview. But first, let's get right to the new album. And, and some of the songs that just grabbed me that really stood out to me. Uh, probably the first one is, is the, is the last one on the, on these, on the album floored. I really thought that floored is a wonderful love song. And it's a great way to close your album with something so positive. Now I have to tell my audience though, it's not a typical love song. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not about romantic love, but it's rather about God and the love that God has for us and how his love lifts us up when we're down. Am I correct in my interpretation? <laughs> um, yes. So oh, okay. I, I would say, I would say very close. Oh, okay. Um, and, I, and I have a bit of a, a long story if we've got That's time fine. We've got time. Okay. So, uh, 
years and years ago when um, my fourth child was about to be born, um, we decided within our family that something really needed to change with our schedule. Um, we were, my husband and I were both constantly busy. Um, our oldest girls were in school and we were really struggling with that transition from like having kids at home to having kids in school. And now we are, um, slaves to the school schedule Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And, and my husband's job was busy. He was, he was gone a lot. Um, and so we just kind of felt like we, we were not functioning as a family. We were all busy doing our things. And so uh, we decided to kind of drastically change things. And the only thing that we could remove from our schedule was school. Mm-hmm. So we decided for a, for a year, we would homeschool. Okay. And um, we decided to call it family rehab. Okay. Uh, and we said, you know, we just need a year to kind of reset the button on what's important in life, um, how we want to, you know, have our household function. Like it just felt like we weren't home long enough to even like have, uh, you know, systems and procedures for how, how we function at home. (laughs) You know, it was just, it was just so much chaos. And so, um, for that year, um, I started a blog called family rehab to kind of keep myself accountable (laughs) to homeschool my kids. Honestly, that was, that was this, the, um, the purpose of the blog was to make sure that I didn't just not teach my kids for the the year. I knew that if I was public about that, then I would actually do it. I was really worried that we would just spend all day, every day in our pajamas and not do anything. And I needed some accountability. So um, one day, uh, during that year, uh, my youngest had been born. And so I was juggling an infant. I think at that point he was kind of starting to crawl and get into everything. I was trying to teach third grade math and teach, you know, my third, how to use a pair of scissors. And he would cut through all of his shirts, you know, Mm -hmm. while trying to cut through paper and, um, you know, it was, I was way overwhelmed. Um, and there was this one particular day where I think three different times during the day, I found myself face planted in the floor. (laughs) Okay. Um, and you know, whether it was, I think one time it was just pure exhaustion. Like, I can't do this. I'm so tired. (laughs) I just fell on the floor. I'm probably fell asleep. I think another time, you know, I was on the floor with the baby trying to keep them entertained. And, you know, it was just, again, exhaustion. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I ended up writing a blog about that called Floored, um, how I kept finding myself on the floor. But every time I found myself there, there was a sense that while I was the only one in the middle of the floor and I probably looked completely ridiculous if anybody would have walked into our house. (laughs) Um, You know, my kids were often like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, For me, it was a very, it stuck out to me as being a very peaceful, 
place where I realized I wasn't doing it alone. Uh-huh. While I was at home alone with the kids and I was overwhelmed and I was tired and I didn't know how to teach math and I didn't, you know, I just felt over my head. Um, there was a realization that while I was floored, <laughs> you know, exhausted on the floor, that I was also um, kind of amazed and floored that I wasn't, there was a bigger, a bigger power um, that there was, uh, that God was by my side and with me, even though I felt so overwhelmed, he was still how, still somehow making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, giving me exactly what I needed for that day, giving me just, an, just enough patience, <laughs> um, you know, just enough energy. Um, and so I think after, after that whole year and, you know, years passed by, I always had said, like, I would love to go back and write a song that uses that kind of play on the expression, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm floored, Mm -hmm. but actually on the floor, (laughs) you know? Um, And so that is what was the stimulus for it, that Mm -hmm. I wanted to somehow capture um, that, but without um, you know, having to just retell my blog post in that particular time in my life. So then I started to think about like, well, when are all the times that I've been floored, like blown away by something? And um, I think for me personally, it's any time that I feel like I have been accepted or loved despite my faults, despite my weaknesses, like just the feeling of unconditional love, like, oh, I don't deserve this. Um, and so then I just wanted to work with the idea of, you know, starting the song, um, on the floor, you know, in a, in a state of sadness and like feeling like, um, life is overwhelming. Life is hopeless, Mm -hmm. but move the listener through, um, through other experiences where we are floored in a different way, amazed that somebody could love us despite our faults. And for me, the second verse is, you know, about marriage or it's a proposal, you know, I floored that this person wants me, you know, Mm -hmm. and then the last verse being yes, about how, um, God views us with all of our faults and still pursues us still, Mm -hmm. still accepts us, still loves us. Um, it's not about what we do. We can't Mm -hmm. earn it. You know, there's yeah. nothing we can do. Um, and that, that leaves us floored, you know, it, yeah. it uh, leaves us floored. So that, I, that was a long <laughs> explanation to that song, but. Um, you know, it, it just, I, it's perfect. I mean, I resonate with what you're talking about. Now I've never had four children, but I have a granddaughter and uh, my wife and I last week, had our first uh, Monday of several this summer that we'll be babysitting her all day long, uh, like from 7.30 in the morning till five. And um, yeah, I love my granddaughter. Oh my gosh, I love her to death, but she just wears me out. They are exhausting little boys. Well, she's, well she's, she's five years old. And I kid you mm-hmm. not, if I could tap that energy and market it somehow, I'd become a millionaire. Yeah. But the thing that is that is so wonderful is, and she, there's times when she tries my patience. I mean, all children do. Yeah. 
uh, when, or she doesn't mind. And I have to maybe holler at her a little bit, but at the end of the day, we were sitting in our basement because there was a severe thunderstorm coming through and, and we were watching a, a program on, uh, Apple TV about dinosaurs and Evie's uh, been studying dinosaurs. So I told her, I says, now you have to be the expert here and help pop up understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pop up. I'll tell you who they are and what they, you know, and as we're watching, I felt her lean her head over onto my shoulder. And at that moment, I went, that's worth the price of admission mm. right there because this child who I adore loves me too Mm. and she wants to be close to me and 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 i uh uh you know that buoyed me up like i i can't even you know i can't have words to express how that feels yeah so i mean i was i was floored but uh at at times she floors me but you know there's always that something that that always uh you know brings things back up again so i i uh yeah i think that's why i love the song i mean mm. isn't it i i mean i look back on it and i thought my goodness this is the last song on the album why is this the first one i want to talk about and i think it's mm. because of the impact it had on me you mm. know listening to it another song that you have is entitled fayetteville and i i mentioned uh, to in my interview questions and i'll remind my audience that I used to live in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex and loved it there. And, and, uh, and so Fayetteville caught my attention because at first I thought, Oh, this is going to be something about Fayetteville, Arkansas, because I knew about Fayetteville, Arkansas. And, uh, but then I thought, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. Angie's from Texas. So I looked up and discovered Fayetteville, Texas. And what I'd found it's, you know, what in between Houston and Austin, and it's a Mm -hmm. real small town, only less than 300 people, I think. And, uh, so I, I went back and listened to the song again, kind of informed a little bit more about Fayetteville, uh, Texas. And what came to me was that the, your song seems to be a kind of growing up or coming of age type of song uh, and how we may long for where we came from when we are in a situation where we are may not be working out so great. In other words, we think about our original home or origin mm-hmm. or whatnot, even if it maybe wasn't entirely pain-free because, you know, growing up has a number of, of, of different uh, challenges to it. But would you please comment about your song, Fayetteville? Well, I think your interpretation <laughs> of the song is way better than what I intended. So, <laughs> well, okay. Well, you can borrow it if you like. Yeah. You know? Maybe we just go. With that. Um, I, you know, that's it's the you know genesis of that song is kind of crazy and weird too uh i had been watching um a bbc show mm-hmm. and um those shows are always good for like good thought-provoking quotes <laughs> mm-hmm. for songs and um one of the characters had been walking through an area of the city that was particularly plagued with like poverty and disease and said something like um it gives new meaning to, and I don't know if it was hurt or I don't remember now, but the idea that like this place gives new meaning to, and then, you know, a a word that we would have all heard. Um, And 
for me, uh, that was one of those quotes that immediately, like I went and put it, <laughs> put it on my list because mm-hmm. I thought, wow, like what an interesting idea that places mm-hmm. or experiences can help inform the meaning of words and how we interpret them. Um, so like you can read a definition of a word in a dictionary, but some words until you experience their implications, um, their definitions until you like experience them, um, they aren't quite fully known or felt like mm-hmm. you can only know it to one degree until you actually feel it. And you're like, Oh, now I get that word. Um, and for me, mm-hmm. it was just an interesting concept. Um, so the line in the song hurt gains new meaning when you walk in was kind of the beginning seed of the song. Mm. Um, then honestly, uh, it became about Fayetteville, Texas, because I read in a songwriting how-to book that if you ever get stuck, you know, there was like a list of things like, here, try this, try this, try this. And one was go with the name of a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, what's the name of a place that um, I kind of know of? I mean, I've only driven through Fayetteville mm-hmm. in between mm-hmm. Houston and Austin, um, but I don't really know anything about it, but I mean, that kind of has a catchy, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, there's three syllables there. I can, I can make that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I did a little bit of research on Fayetteville and, um, you know, realized that it has, um, I think it's on the like national, it's one of the national register of historic places, historical places. Oh, okay. Um, but yet like it only has about 120 households. And I thought that that combination of like, here's a place that's deemed historic and important, but there's only 120 families living there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me at that point, it was about um, creating a story in, again, like would that movie in my mind, um, what would it be like to live in such a small place like that? Um, working with the idea that hurt gains new meaning when you walk in and um, well, then how could Fayetteville almost take on a personification like that, um, like who knew all the places a heart could break? Well, not just like a places, you know, in the world like Fayetteville or any other place, but what about place, you know, who knew all the places in my heart that it could break, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who knew all the spaces that wounds could fill. It's not just about the spaces in my own heart or soul, but all the spaces of a place. Um, And so I guess at that point I started a dysfunctional relationship with Fayetteville. Okay. (laughs) You know, I'm sure I'm, and I'm sure, (laughs) and I'm sure it's all fictional because Fayetteville seems like such a nice town. It does just from the pictures. (laughs) It does. And, you know, the funny thing is after I recorded the song, I found out that a musician friend of mine had just won the mayoral seat for Fayetteville. He had just become the mayor of Fayetteville. And I was telling him, oh my goodness, like he posted it on Facebook. And I said, this is crazy. I just wrote a song about Fayetteville. And he said, oh, that's great. Like, what if you came and sang a song and I could give you a hat that says Fayetteville? And I said, oh, 
I don't think you want me to sing this song <laughs> about Fayetteville. Uh, it's too sad. Oh, that is, that is a great story. That is just, you know, and that, man, I'll tell you, the truth is stranger than fiction. That, that's a great story. Well, I, I just, uh, no, it's, uh, it's really a wonderful, wonderful song. And I know uh, I was intrigued and I, I had to find out about, uh, about Fayetteville, Texas, because uh, that was a city I had never, I had never heard of. And I've been to Austin and I've been to Houston. Yeah. I guess I've just never been on the road between Austin yeah. and, and Houston. It's, it's easy to miss. <laughs> well, you know, usually when I was in Austin, I was on my way to San Antonio. Hmm. Because I would go to San Antonio a couple of times a year uh, with uh, uh, for music stuff. Like we'd have oh, yeah. our we would have our uh, Texas Music Educators Association yeah, conference, in like Allstate. in February. In oh, all, yeah. yeah. Well, Allstate was always at UT, and so that's oh. that's how I would go to. Uh, I would end up coming to Austin, although I used to like to go through there anyway because I. I like Austin, but, you know, speaking of Austin, here's the real, here's the real stranger than truth story. <laughs> when I first moved to Wisconsin and I went to Madison, which is the capital of Wisconsin, just like mm -hmm. Austin's the capital of Texas. And I was walking down uh, uh, state street in Madison and I turned around and I looked at the Capitol building in Madison for a split second, I swear I thought it was in Austin. No, because way. it kind of yeah, it kind of looks it's the same design capital building, oh. you know, the dome and everything. Uh -huh. you know, the one that's that's designed after like St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And of course, Madison has a very similar vibe to Austin. Okay. Uh, you know, just like in Texas, Austin is sort of this uh, uh, island of liberalism. In, yeah. in kind of otherwise conservative state and uh, Madison tends to be kind of very liberal as well in its politics. But aside from that, it's also a musically a great town as well. Madison is just like not as great as Austin. Austin is really got a lot going on musically, but there's a lot in, in Madison as well. So anyway, oh, we got off the beaten path, <laughs> but I couldn't resist because I loved your story about Fayetteville. Hey, look, you know, the title track of your album really bowled me over. And, and in fact, in my interview, the first word I wrote is, wow. <laughs> uh, the title track, if I were honest, is a powerful statement. And it comes across that to me that it's about being trapped in a relationship that's not really working yet you're still hanging on because of the love for the, your partner. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems to me. Am I close at all in that interpretation? Absolutely. Um, oh, that's, that's one definitely, it makes me so happy because that's definitely the picture that I wanted to paint. Oh, wonderful. Um, it was, a, it was a song that definitely followed the process that I shared earlier. Um, mm -hmm. The hook, like if I were honest, I'd probably lie. Um, was said in a conversation with friends. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what we were talking about. And I said, well, man, if I were honest, I'd probably lie. <laughs> right. You know, and everybody, all four of us at the table went, oh, that's a great song. <laughs> so, you know, recorded it for later. Um, and then I probably a month later, I was plucking around on my ukulele, um, trying to play around with some different chord progressions and um, 
I kind of thought like, this is starting to sound like a scene in a movie where, you know, maybe you have a couple sitting in a dark restaurant and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. trying to celebrate, but not really connecting. And then, um, and then I thought about, I remember that hook. I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. So um, the, uh, that was the kind of the beginning of it. And then um, I got on Facebook and I asked just in general, hey, like we all lie. We know we do it. Why do we lie? Mm-hmm. You know, just everybody tell me your opinions, mm-hmm. uh, your thoughts on this. And the overwhelming response, um, you know, said in one way or another was, well, I lie because I want to protect the people that I love. Mm-hmm. And that was by far the majority of the responses were like, this is when it's okay to lie. And that's why I do it. And so um, I just went with it. And that was the, again, like the movie in my head, um, this couple sitting together. And then um, in my, I really want to make a music video about it because I, I really want the, what's in my mind <laughs> to come to life. But, um, you know, just the idea that, that um, you can even be celebrating something that currently at the time is hard mm-hmm. um, and that um, marriage and commitment is not about always feeling the feelings, um, but it's about, you know, sticking through it. I think that there's probably, I don't, I think every marriage or relationship out there can identify with that feeling. I think it's a universal one. There is not a perfect marriage out there. No combination of two imperfect people, you know, is going to result in a perfect, always feel good marriage, um, or partnership. And so like, um, I felt like it was such a, uh, common emotion, but that nobody wants to admit. Yep. Um, because usually if we admit that, Oh, I feel like the, the feelings are fading. I mean, most, not most, but a lot of people choose to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't rarely talk about the emotion of like, no, this kind of honestly sucks right now, but I'm mm-hmm. going to stick with it. Right. And um, I know for me in my own marriage and other marriages that I've been privileged to kind of walk alongside, um, it's usually those kind of like seasons of drought that, Mm -hmm. that come right before a season of like just crazy joy Mm -hmm. and intimacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, closeness. And so I I just, um, when the, when the phrase, if I were honest, I'd probably lie, came into the room, you know, and And then that got paired with the picture in my brain that the music, you know, elicited in my mind. I thought, oh, this is, this is explaining that feeling. Wow. Um, So, well, yeah, I mean, it directly resonated with me too. I mean, I, I, you know, I I love my wife. We've been married for 13 years. I think we have a great marriage. Is it perfect? No. Do we have really knockdown drag out fights that make us feel miserable? Uh, Yes. But we always find a way to to reconcile, to get it back on track. And you're right. After those periods of drought, it's great. You know, it's like yeah. it's sort of like that metaphor. You know, it's always darkest before the sunrise. 
Yeah. Here's another good catchphrase for you. Yeah. There you go. Let, me, let me put it down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Liz, that one's not new, nor is it original. So I it's may have true. been out it's there true. already. But no, I think uh, I think you're. Uh, that's what I picked up on is, uh, you know, you care more about the other person so that even though you've had a fight, you're angry and the situation, like you say, sucks, you still just go, no, we're going to be fine. We're going to fix this. We're going to work it out and, and we're going to go on. And you do. Yeah. You know, so and and you're right. More people don't do that. I mean, we know in the United States, half of all marriages end in divorce. And 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 uh, maybe, you know, I'm not not saying that everyone should do or think the way that uh, that I think. But, you know, it, there's times when you've got to uh, say, you know, yeah, this is a bad time, but we're going to work our way through it and things are going to get better. You have to have hope. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. all right. Well, I, I'm glad to hear I scored one. So I, I, <laughs> I, I picked up on that. Uh, your song, uh, So I Pray, is a wonderful. I, I love, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but it's like you've got two wonderful bookends to your album. Mm -hmm. You know, you got floored at the end and you open with So I Pray. And it, it bookends the front end of your album so nicely. Uh, and the, uh, the lyrics of the song kind of revealed to me that with all our struggles, often our last resort is to ask for help from a higher power through prayer. Would you comment? Um, I mean, I agree. Usually prayer is the last place that we turn. I think it's just our human nature. Uh, we like to try to take care of things ourselves first. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, I've learned a lot through the response to this song, um, that many people have many different attitudes towards prayer. I did not realize how almost controversial, controversial, uh, the idea of prayer is, hmm. um, some feel that it's an excuse for like, instead of taking up personal action to a situation or a problem, like, oh, I'll, I'll pray about it. I'm praying about it. And so therefore it's lazy and almost cowardice to pray. Hmm. Um, and on the other hand, the, you know, some feel that it's powerful and the greatest form of action that we can take. Um, so it's, it has been interesting, um, the response to it, uh, which has made me be uh, I still have my personal feelings about it, but it's also made me a little bit more sensitive to mm -hmm. how, just how the song can be received and what it means to people. Um, I think for me, um, I mean, my own, my own personal experiences, um, you know, this song was written actually a long time ago. It was one of the very first songs that I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. um, and it was during a time of personal struggle. Sure. And, um, I had no answers in and of myself. Like I was kind of at my wits end. Um, I felt defeated and hopeless. Um, I was tired of going to counseling sessions <laughs> and tired of the deep, serious conversations that like only seemed to create more issues and more deep conversations. You know, I was kind of was like, okay, I, <laughs> not, none of this is solving anything and I'm just tired. Um, and so I, you know, it did feel like I was resorting to prayer after putting a whole lot of action in place before that. Um, so, I mean, like every morning and 
every afternoon on my back porch watching my chickens roam <laughs> in the yard. You know, it was a part of my routine. I'm going to pray about this because I literally don't know what to do anymore. Um, sometimes those prayers happen curled up in a ball in the middle of my bed in the middle of the day, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, and those were often angry prayers, you know, like I'm pretty upset about this and God, if you're up there and you're in control, how dare you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, they were, uh, they were very honest, very, um, gut wrenching, very end of the rope kind of prayers. And I think oftentimes, you know, if people hear, uh, I'm praying for you, that's not what they associate with that. They, Mm -hmm. you know, the people who think it's just a lazy response to a situation, uh, don't have that connection, don't have the, maybe Mm -hmm. that experience with it. And so for me, um, you know, I, I, much like I can't imagine going through life without my spouse or my children. I don't know that I would have made it through that time in my life without prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like the, the lines in the song of I'm dying here. Is anyone listening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I need, mm-hmm. I need you, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that is supposed to be illustrative of the kinds of prayers that I was having sure. and, uh, during that time. And, um, that they, that prayer can be excruciatingly honest, Mm -hmm. that we don't have to put on a facade or recite a certain thing or, um, you know, uh, take out the cuss words, (laughs) right? Like, you know, we can, you just, that's the whole point. Sure. Sure. Be honest. And so, uh, for me, adding it to this album that was going to be titled, if I were honest, it just seemed to, um, fit to finally bring it out from kind of, this was an old song and to bring it back. And, um, yeah. Well, I, I just thought, you know, I think just from a structural standpoint in, in my objective, not knowing all the true meaning behind everything, I just thought it was an excellent, excellent way to put things together in terms of a nice, a preamble that has a bit of a spiritual element to it. And then your benediction, if you will, mm. with Floored kind of also having a spiritual element to it. Uh, and I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I, it's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't pray or pray this particular prayer every day, but, uh, many times I will pray and say, ask, ask for the Lord to bless me so that when I screw up, nobody gets hurt too bad. You know, because I I have to accept the fact that I'm not perfect and I'm going to screw up and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to say things I wish I haven't. And, you know, and I and I just hope that 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 I can be blessed enough to know how to uh, uh, repent of those actions and 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 set the record straight and go on. And like I said, and not do harm to anybody, you know, and I think that I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because uh, I think that's that's really the uh, a big part of of uh, faith is first of all is accepting that we're not perfect, and that yeah. we cannot do it alone. We really can't do it alone. Agreed, absolutely. We, we have to have other people in our lives. We have to have God in our lives. We have to have, you know, we've got to have all those kinds of things. Uh, I always make the joke when I tell people, you know, it's not easy being me. It takes a village. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and I think that that's that's uh, that includes a spiritual aspect as well. Well, yeah. let's get to my favorite song on the album, which is "Whiskey in a Teacup." Now, "Whiskey in a Teacup" is not your typical "There's a tear in my beer" kind of uh, <laughs> type of song. It's not that at all. Although when I saw the title, I thought it might be this before I listened to it or read the lyrics, right? I thought, okay, this is kind of a country bent to it. So this is our prototypical country drinking song, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, so, you know, and I love the video. I mentioned that already. And you have your kids in the video and whiskey in a teacup is really more of a metaphor for strength than what might be perceived as the weakness of a day drinker. Would you comment? <laughs> well, it's funny. I like never even thought about the weakness of a day drinker. I just didn't even make that connection. So uh, I think that's pretty funny. Um, I mean, now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, that <laughs> I could see how one would read that. Um, yeah, the, the video uh, was a blast. And it was really important to me to involve friends and family who I consider to have you know, some version of strength. Um, I want to include people that, uh, have helped me find my inner strength. Um, even if maybe I often have a fragile or meek exterior. Um, and when I was writing the song, I was researching quotes about strong women. Cause I just, my goal was like, I, uh, I want to write a song that, um, gives some kind of power to the voiceless, um, whether, you know, maybe, uh, not that every woman is voiceless, but you know, uh, if mm -hmm. that is the case, I, I wanted to give power there. Um, I also wanted to kind of, I'm an introvert and sometimes I'm not the most talkative person in the room and I get over-talked. I wanted to give power to like the silent strong types, you know, acknowledge that, um, there's power there, even if on the outside, it's not big and verbose. Um, and so I was doing some research before I even wrote the song. Um, I was just researching quotes about strong women. Mm -hmm. And I came across a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, and she said that a woman is like a tea bag. You don't know how strong she is until she's put in hot water. Oh, and I thought, oh, okay. Um, and then... Uh, that's kind of where the idea of, you know, strong tea developed into like, oh, well, tea that's actually whiskey, you know, that's even stronger. Um, and then also in that research, I found a quote that said the most dangerous animal in the world is a silent, smiling woman. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and I loved that because I thought like the idea that power or the ability to be threatening of any kind, um, the idea that that's only found in physical strength, um, just couldn't be any more wrong. Um, and so I loved the combination of those two thoughts, um, being a woman being an introverted woman, um, sometimes being underestimated because I'm not, again, the loudest person in the room. If I go to an event and there's 30 people, I will hang close to that wall <laughs> and not approach anybody. <laughs> and so um, for me, uh, I just wanted to write a song that gave power to people like that, like me, that mm -hmm. even though we hang close to the wall, it doesn't mean we don't have good ideas, that we don't mm -hmm. um, have good things to share. 
um, powerful things to share even um, that we can't make big change in the world. So that was where, uh, where that all kind of came from. And so being able to have my kids involved in it, um, have one of my daughters kind of be the, the star in it. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants to be an actress. That is what she wants to do with her life. She has made up her mind. And so I thought, well, here's your chance, you know, let's, let's like, let's get that um, portfolio going. Let's start it, you, you know, start well, for her and do the thing. And she That's did great. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I, I thought both your kids were great in the video. I yeah. Think to your, yeah. Well, that's just awesome. Well, are there any other songs on the on your album that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to comment? Um, you know, one song that I am personally just really proud of is Half a Mind. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, it's it's slightly out of my wheelhouse um, to write a song that's kind of more of social commentary than it is a story or, you know, with specific characters or that focus on the emotions. Um, it really is kind of commenting on our society as a whole. Um, and I think because it's unique in that way, it really required me to stretch different muscles in writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it required me to focus on different things. Um, it was inspired by Brandy Clark's take a little pill okay. um, song. And, um, I just, you know, I tried to address the tension between relying on medication for a sense of wholeness and independence, you know, like being dependent as I feel like a lot of our society is dependent on pharmaceuticals to, um, feel a sense of independence and like there's tension in that. Um, and so it was just stretching for me to try to use imagery, um, that conveyed that tension, um, like with examples and different ways of implying, like we're torn over that, like half a mind to make a whole pill or half a mind to take a whole pill, um, being split right down the middle, like the odds are 50, 50. Um, and so like, it's one of the simpler arrangements on the record, um, simple production value, you know, it was very kind of straightforward. Um, but I'm, proud of the work that I put into the lyrics because it was it was totally outside of my Hmm. my norm well that'll uh that'll uh uh we'll put a red flag next to that one and go back and (laughs) listen to it again because uh it's not that I missed it it's just that you know I I I, uh well I had to choose (laughs) yeah exactly yeah but I didn't want to sweep anything under the floor and that's why I'm glad you brought that up because it's a wonderful song and, uh, and uh, we should all pay more attention to it. You know, I'm, I'm curious to know now that uh, If I Were Honest is out, are you writing new songs and planning your next album? And if so, what can you tell us about it? Um, well, I, I mean, I would uh, financially need to recover. <laughs> okay. So there's that very practical piece. <laughs> um, I would... I've kind of set some goals for myself. Like I'd, I'd love to write more piano driven songs mm-hmm. um, on my next album, whenever that is. Um, I would like to kind of um, head down a path of producing my own album. I, I think I have a lot to learn in that area, but 
um, having grown up being trained with like choral music and with orchestral backgrounds and all that kind of stuff and um, learning about how all of the different pieces um, come together to tell the story. I'm very fascinated and, and have always wanted to produce music that, that does that, where I get a chance to really um, use my creativity to bring in all the different parts. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think whatever my next thing is, you know, I'd like for it to be more piano driven because I think that would stretch me. And then I think I would like to try to produce it myself um, mm -hmm. and, and do kind of some of those things. Um, I'm also tossing around an idea. So uh, I'm also an art teacher part-time. Okay. And I paint and um, I've been tossing around an idea of, you know, combining my visual art with my songwriting. Mm. Um, I think it would be really cool to put out an album where with each song on the album, there's an accompanying piece of artwork that mm. further tells the story, you know, kind of enhances all the senses. And so I don't know exactly how that would work, <laughs> how that would play out, but uh, I'm tossing it around. I think one day uh, that would be something I would really want to do to kind of combine those things that you know, well, let me give you a yeah. reference that you can you can Google and look up and read about is yeah. there was there was a composer who her name was Fanny Mendelssohn. She okay. was the sister of Felix Mendelssohn, who was a, a better known composer because mm -hmm. this is the early part of the 19th century. And, you know, women did not pursue careers as composers. But mm -hmm. she was a very good composer, and she, uh, I cannot remember the name of the collection. I have seen a facsimile of it, but one of her collections is piano music, and then her drawings are also uh, there. Cool. But, if you, but it should mention it in there. I, I, it, uh, uh, I think each piece represents a different month of the year. Hmm. or different the different seasons of the year and then her drawings are are accompanying that but uh fanny mendelssohn she was okay. uh german uh and uh lived uh in the uh probably the first half of the 1800s okay and uh well, yeah yeah you should it might you might find some inspiration or ideas yeah. there because uh, your idea really sounds intriguing to me to uh, to bring out all sides of your your artistry. And yeah. uh, so I think that's really that's really awesome. Uh, so are you doing any live shows? Well, uh, being a teacher, uh, I've really needed a break. I understand. <laughs> so so uh, I'm taking a little bit of downtime for the first mm -hmm. half of the summer, maybe a few local shows. Uh, but then you know, next summer, uh, my daughters and I are actually going to hit the road and do a short little tour. Wonderful. Uh, we're going to kind of be in North Texas and Little Rock, Memphis, Nashville, uh -huh. and then all the way over to Raleigh. Um, oh. And so uh, it'll be fun. It'll be a good little road trip. Um, most of that's house concerts. Um, in Nashville, um, I'll be playing at the local for their freak show. Um mm -hmm. Uh, that's I think July 20th so I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to kind of packing it together so I can still <laughs> take a break yeah uh, but we're excited about it and I'm excited to 
to have my girls with me too. It'll be oh, fun. That, that's going to be awesome. And what, wonder, and what a wonderful experience for them. Yeah. No, well, what, did, what did you do on your summer vacation? <laughs> well, I was on the road with my mom. Yeah. I, I, was my, I was my mom's roadie. Yeah. I keep telling them like, well, my social media game is going to be on point because they're going to do it. Ah, <laughs> so oh, it'll be good. good. It'll okay. be good. Excellent. Excellent. That's just, uh, that's wonderful to hear. And uh, I, I, I just, uh, I real touch that you've got your family involved. I think that's super. Well, Angie, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? Um, I mean, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. Um, like, just to talk about the songs and for helping me introduce myself to more people. Um, what you do is, is really awesome and really cool and needed. So thank you so much. And um, for anybody listening, who's interested, I mean, I love to connect via social media and learn more about people. That's one of my favorite things is being able to like actually connect with people who connect with the music. So it, go it goes beyond mm -hmm. just, you know, don't just listen, but say hi. Sure. <laughs> Well, and, connect, so. and Angie, I'll tell you, and I'll remind my audience, you know, I do provide links to your website, your Facebook page. I put up a couple of uh, uh, links to YouTubes uh, of your performing so they can learn more about you and find ways to connect with you. And I, and I hope awesome. that they will, because uh, uh, I think uh, your, uh, your songwriting and your art is really worth the time. And I, because yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed it. And Angie, I, I want to thank you for taking time uh, to talk with me today. Uh, and, uh, and I hope that you continue to uh, uh, decompress well from your school year. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love being a teacher, though, because, you know, the semester does come to an end and you do have some time before you have to go back and teach summer school or you know, take a deep yeah. breath before, you know, the next semester. But I do understand that need to just uh, leave me alone and yep. just, <laughs> just have some downtime. I understand that. But I, I, I want to thank you. And I want to wish uh, you with uh, what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. My discovery composer of the week is Australian composer Jack Ferrer whose music has been performed across the United States, Australia, Europe, and Asia by ensembles including the Nashville Symphony, the Albany Symphony, the Arapahoe Philharmonic, the Australian and Metropolitan Youth Orchestras, Dakota, Metropolis, the Tanglewood Music Center, and the wind ensembles of the University of Texas, Austin, the University of North Texas, the University of Michigan, and Cornell University. Jack is the recipient of a Charles Ives scholarship from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, a Morton Gould Composers Award from ASCAP, the Suzanne and Lee Edelson Composers Award, the Brian Israel Prize from the Society for New Music, and winner of both the Juilliard Orchestra, and Gina Rapp's Chamber Music competitions. He was a Tanglewood Composition Fellow for 2019, a composer for the New York City Ballet's 2019 Choreographic Institute, and is currently composer-in-residence with the Arapaho Philharmonic. 
Jack studied with John Corigliano and Robert Beezer at the Juilliard School, where he now serves on the faculty of its pre-college division and is currently a graduate student at the Yale School of Music, where he studies with David Lang, Aaron J. Kernis, Chris Theophanidis, and Martin Bresnik. Jack is active as a film composer and producer with recent projects including scores for Always Summer by Alexa Eve, Dance Films, Virtuality by Maddie Hansen, and Tour of a Reverie by Mosseline Park Harrison. Jack served as a recording engineer for the album Cityscapes by Shout House, released by New Amsterdam Records in 2019, and produced The Roof, a series of collaborative films and performances featuring New York City-based choreographers and performers. The All Music Guide does not currently list any recordings by Frere. However, on his website are a number of videos of performances of his compositions. That wraps episode number 88. My show notes along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing Toronto-based singer-songwriter Meredith Lazowski. We will be discussing Meredith's, Meredith's recent release, her album, Other Way Home. Other upcoming interviews include New York City-based jazz pianist, composer, and band leader Mickey Yamanaka, Los Angeles-based jazz drummer and composer Daniel Schnell, New York City-based jazz guitarist, composer, arranger, and educator Alex Wentz, and Lansing, Michigan-based jazz trombonist, composer, and band leader Michael Deese. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have any questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog. Signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.